Hey, Culture by Design listeners. My name is Freddie. I'm on the marketing team here at Leader Factor, and I help produce the Culture by Design podcast. We have a special episode for you today, and so I wanted to give you a little bit of an introduction before we dive into the episode. Today's episode is a shortened recording of the latest live event, The Ladder of Vulnerability, that we hosted two weeks ago on July 22nd. In this event, we hosted some amazing panelists, Chantelle Leroux, the Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Program Manager for Amazon Web Services, Rafael Ramos, the Chief Supply Chain and Engineering Officer for Coca-Cola FEMSA, Tracy Walker, the National Leader of Culture, Diversity, and Inclusion for RSM, Zainab Hader, the Senior Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisor at Cigna. Each panelist will have a moment to introduce themselves later in the episode. I'm excited for you to get to know them. They're amazing people with amazing insights. It's not often that you get a group of executives together to talk about vulnerability. A couple of notes on today's episode. Dr. Timothy R. Clark will first introduce the concept behind the ladder of vulnerability and the leader factor assessment before bringing on the panelists and starting the group discussion. Second note, there's a moment where Junior Clark will invite the attendees of the live webinar to take the self-assessment themselves at leaderfactor.com forward slash live. That link to take the assessment is still available today, August 5th, 2022, but it won't be available forever. If you're interested in taking the Ladder of Vulnerability self-assessment, we've included links to take it inside this episode's show notes. That's enough of an introduction. Thank you for listening to the Culture by Design podcast, and thank you for all of you who have left reviews. I hope you enjoy and share today's episode. Welcome everyone to another Leader Factor webinar. It's great to have you with us today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are. I can see in the chat, we have people from all over the place. If you haven't had an opportunity to let us know where you're from, please go ahead and put that in the chat. We would love to see where you're joining us from. We get a lot of time zones. So for those of you who got up early, for those of you who are staying up late on a Friday, thank you for taking the time to be with us. And Tim, thank you for being here too. Yeah, good to be with you, Junior. Some people are spending the evening with us, which is uh, pretty remarkable. So thank you for being here. Tim, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about psychological safety, but we're going to focus on vulnerability and what we call the ladder of vulnerability. So let's jump into it. So let's begin let's with it. psychological safety. This is a concept which, as you know, was introduced to the research agenda in universities back in 1965. It's exploded with interest since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, what is it? We can define it in five simple words. It's a culture of rewarded vulnerability. In order to understand psychological safety, it takes you to the concept of vulnerability. Everything depends on whether your personal acts of vulnerability are rewarded or punished. If they are consistently rewarded, then you're in a culture of psychological safety, high psychological safety. If they're not being rewarded, if they're being punished, then the psychological safety is low. Now, all of this rests on this very simple premise, that human interaction is a vulnerable activity. Think about this. It's true. When humans come together and we interact, we are engaging in a vulnerable activity. So the question is, what are we going to do about that? And turns out we have control over that. We have influence over that. And that's what we want to talk about today. I've got a question as well. Yeah. Do you agree? Does the chat agree with that? That human interaction is a vulnerable activity. I'd be interested to see how well we agree on this if you all think so. So if you agree or you disagree, go ahead and put that in the chat. We'd be interested in your perspective. And Connected to that question, let me ask you this question. So what are some acts of vulnerability that we engage in every day as we work together? If you have an idea, put those in the chat. So when we say that I'm being vulnerable or you're being vulnerable, what does that mean? What does that translate into? So think about that. And if you have a, a specific example of an act of vulnerability, throw that in the chat because we have to translate that into actual behaviors. So nope. think about that. And it looks like we've got a lot of agreement. I think we can all agree that human interaction is a vulnerable activity. And vulnerability lies on a spectrum. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. But as yeah. you can see in the chat, there's a lot of agreement around this. 
So Okay, so here's some have, examples, Junior, of acts yeah. coming in. Do you want to go through some of these? Please. So we see stating that you disagree. That's a very vulnerable activity. And depending on who you are, that could be ultimately vulnerable. As a leader, admitting to not knowing something. Asia, Sharing mistakes. A handshake is vulnerable from some cultures more than others. I love that. Depending on where you are, and we're going to talk about that today, geography plays a role. Socialization cultures, it's different in different places. Sharing a mistake. I love that. Sharing a mistake. Meeting new people. Providing feedback. Thank you, Greg. Rocco, having a voice. Really appreciate that. Jim, allowing others to lead themselves. Sometimes you don't need to be so involved. MK, being judged. Thank you everyone for contributing to the chat. These are really, really good. Being the othered in the group of a minority, of a majority. Yeah. Expressing an idea that has not been tested yet. Asking for help, sharing something personal, reaching out for support from HR, challenging someone higher up in the ladder than you in the organization. Thank you, Charmaine. So there's quite a few here. There are tons. Let me just mention this. Um, This is a homework assignment for everyone out there. Create your own master list of acts of vulnerability and keep adding to it. Because what this is going to do is it's going to sensitize you to acts of vulnerability. And you'll be able to identify them real time when they happen. And you're going to find out even more about why this is so important. So what psychological safety comes down to is a central mechanism of modeling and rewarding acts of vulnerability. Everything else that we do in culture formation is secondary. It's all scaffolding, it's all support. Now it's important, but the central mechanism is to model and then reward acts of vulnerability. So your culture will depend on how this is done. Now, before we go to our panelists, I want to review with you the framework, the research-based framework of the four stages of psychological safety. And I want to start in the lower left-hand corner. Some of you are not familiar with this framework. This is a research-based framework that's based on global survey research and also qualitative research. Psychological safety is based on a combination of respect and permission. You can see respect on the vertical axis and permission on the horizontal axis. Now, if you go down to the lower left-hand corner, what do you see? Exclusion. Exclusion is where we begin. If you take a group of human beings and they don't know each other and they've never worked together before, they are by definition in a state of exclusion. So this is stage zero. But then when we begin to interact, what happens? Patterns emerge. Those patterns we call norms. If those norms are inclusive, then we cross the inclusion threshold and we move to stage one, which is inclusion safety. Inclusion safety means that you feel included, you feel accepted, and you have a sense of belonging. How do we know this is stage one? We know it's stage one because in our global research, people tell us that this is the first human need they want to satisfy. It's overwhelmingly the case across cultures, across nations, across demographics. It's a universal pattern. Then we go to stage two, which is learner safety. This means that you feel safe to engage in the learning process without fear that you'll be embarrassed or marginalized or punished in some way. That's stage two. Then you go to stage three, which is contributor safety. Contributor safety means that you feel safe and that you are given an opportunity to make a meaningful contribution. Now, that translates into a few things. It translates into an appropriate level of autonomy, also role clarity and guidance and support. So this is the stage where you're given an opportunity to make a meaningful difference, to find purpose in your work, to have it really matter. And that is a very deep human need. Finally, we get to stage four, which is challenger safety. This is the culminating stage. And what it means is that you feel safe to challenge the status quo without fear of what? 
you can probably finish my sentence without fear of retaliation, without fear of jeopardizing your personal standing or reputation or putting your career on the line. Now, you'll notice to get to stage four, you have to cross the innovation threshold. That's because innovation requires that we challenge the status quo. By its very nature, innovation disrupts and undermines the status quo. So we need conditions that will support us as we challenge the status quo uh, to create a very high intellectual friction, but at the same time, we're keeping the social friction down. So that's an overview of these stages, which is very important to understand. Now, as you think about the stages, there are acts of vulnerability associated with each of the stages, but what level of vulnerability you feel may be different than the next person. So your ladder of vulnerability is going to be different than mine, and it's going to be different than the other members of your team. Wow, can you imagine if you understood your own ladder of vulnerability and the ladders of your colleagues and your teammates? Can you imagine what that would do for you to create a psychologically safe culture and environment? That would be a game changer. That would be a breakthrough. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. So, Junior, with that, let's talk about how we can do this. Let's do it. So, Everyone will have the opportunity to take right now the ladder of vulnerability self-assessment for yourselves. So go to this link right now, leaderfactor.com slash live, leaderfactor.com slash live. And there will be a button on there that says, take the ladder or take the quiz. There are a couple different spots. So go to that page and it will be in the chat as well on all channels, a link leaderfactor.com slash live and there will be a button to take the assessment. It's 20 items that are all rapid response. And so what you're doing is responding to how vulnerable you feel when engaging in a certain behavior inside your team. And this is just for you personally, how you perceive each of those items. And then at the end, after you submit, it will output your ladder. So another point is that the last confirmation step is a research step. If you would be willing, we would love if you answered a few additional questions that will help us in our research regarding vulnerability and psychological safety. So you'll see that link in the chat. If you haven't had an opportunity to take your ladder just yet, please do so now because we'll be going through our ladders for a big portion of today's webinar. You can do it on mobile. You can do it on desktop. Any device, any browser should be able to get everything that you need to take your ladder. So while you're doing that, Tim, I'll turn it back over to you and we can start talking about the ladders. Okay, let's do it. First of all, we're going to meet our panelists. And I am so excited. We have brought in four world-class leaders from around the world, really, to join us in this webinar. And I'm going to actually ask them to introduce themselves because I think that's going to be a lot richer experience and allow you to connect with them and get to know them. So we have Tracy Walker from RSM. We have Rafael Ramos from Coca-Cola FEMSA. We have Zainab Hader from Cigna. And finally, we have Chantel LaRue from Amazon Web Services. So with that, let's begin. Did we have an order, Junior, that we were going to go in? Let's go alphabetical by first name. So we'll start with Chantel. Okay, Chantel. Great. Hi, everyone. I'm Chantel LaRue and really thrilled to be here. Um, I'm a huge fan of Leader Factor, as I'm sure most of us are. I'm the Inclusion, Diversity and Equity Program Manager for AWS, Amazon Web Services, and I have a background in transpersonal psychology. So my main focus is always, no matter the work setting, helping people thrive and reach their full potential. And I think this is a really great tool for doing that. Thanks very much, Chantel. And Chantel's coming to us from Berlin. Let's go to Rafael. Hey, thank you, Tim. Good morning. And uh, hello to everybody. Uh, Rafael Ramos, I'm in Mexico City. I have the privilege of leading the supply chain and engineering group in Coca-Cola FEMSA. My background is uh, biochemical engineering. So interesting in all of this because of the amount of people that we're with. We are the largest Coca-Cola bottler and we operate within Latin America in 10 countries. 
So for us, uh, all of this is so relevant. So thank you very much for the invitation, Tim. Thank you, Rafael. Tracy. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dr. Tim. Thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan of Leader Factor as well. My name, again, is Tracy Walker. I'm the National Leader of Culture, Diversity, and Inclusion for RSM, which is the fifth largest accounting business consulting firm in the U.S. We have about 15,000 domestic, 32,000 global employees. And in my 17 years with the firm, the focus is really organizational behavior and how does that create environments for people to thrive? So I find psychological safety foundational and these four stages foundational to the effectiveness of creating those environments. So I look forward to the conversation. I'm based in Northern Virginia. So hello to all the Northern Virginias I saw in the chat. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Zainab. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Clark, Leader Factor panelists. It's so nice to be with you. My name is Zainab Haidar. I am currently um, part of the DEI team at Cigna. My work has been around DEI. I've done that for quite some time now. More recent, I focus on the I of DEI inclusion and inclusive leadership, how that is, how it's experienced across uh, differences on a behavioral level, structural level, our systems of inclusion, what they are, how we can impact that. And of course, you can't do DEI without looking at humility, vulnerability, empathy. And so it's very much so psychological safety and how we can leverage that to advance this work. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Zainab. Thanks, everyone. We're so grateful to have you here. Now, for all of you viewers and listeners, our panelists had the opportunity to take the ladder of vulnerability self-assessment beforehand and generate their own results. And so we're going to go through their results, which is an act of vulnerability. Can you imagine doing this in front of the world? But, <laughs> but that's what they're going to do. And so talk about an act of vulnerability. Let's make sure that we reward that. Let's jump into this. Okay. So we're going to jump in and let's start with Tracy. So Tracy, help us understand what we're looking at here. So this is the output of Tracy's ladder of vulnerability. So at yeah. the top, you'll see her three highest, most vulnerable behaviors. And then in blue, her three lowest, so least vulnerable behaviors. So Tracy, let's talk a little bit about your ladder. Maybe talk about one of your highest and one of your lowest and any insights that you've gleaned from doing this. Yeah, so only for you, Dr. Clark, will I <laughs> become so vulnerable. But I will say one thing I observed was the ladder, the bottom portion goes to my passion for my work and mission. So more responsibility, trying something new, sharing something personal, whatever it takes to achieve that mission and business outcome, clearly I'm more comfortable. But the top of the ladder where I'm extra vulnerable comes from the personal side. I don't want to make a mistake and put mission or firm or team at risk. Always want to give the correct answer. Never want to challenge the way things are done to the point where it causes contention or an impediment. So I think there are some personal aspects, you know, the more personal you get, the more vulnerable. But then as we're focused in the area of expertise and mission, perhaps it gets easier. I'm not positive, but it's my theory on my ladder. Well, and it's interesting, right, Tracy, because your ladder is a combination. Well, it, it comes from a combination of factors, your organization, your personal experience in life, your socialization, the environment. For example, I look at making a mistake. Well, you are working at a firm where risk management is <laughs> always the priority, right? And, right. and managing the control environment. So yes. that has an impact, right? Absolutely. And for those who are like me, a part of our institution, our organization turns 100 years old in just a few years. So there's some embedded practices. There's, you know, reputational risk. And when you're working in an area like inclusion, like I do, 
everyone's buy-in to that is so important to getting to the tipping points that you don't want to make a mistake and lose that trust. So I consider that a high stakes area, being very Mm -hmm. careful and thoughtful as we move forward. So this ladder is very telling. It's revealing a lot, actually. (laughs) But I think it's spot on in terms of how we think about our enterprise and how we think about our individual roles. The last thing I'll say is being a minority and a woman, I feel like there might be, and this could be my bias, an increased level of scrutiny. So you always want to take the extra step to be absolutely right and absolutely perfect just to be above concern. Fascinating. Tracy, thanks very much. Uh, And we're going to come back and we're going to do a group discussion once we've gone through all the panelists. Let's move to Raphael. So here is Raphael's ladder, well, at least his top three and bottom three behaviors. So Raphael, maybe some comments from you about your ladder results and maybe talk about at least one of your top items and one of your bottom items. Thank you, Tim. The way I see it is that uh, I will use the resources that that come from the bottom to be able to support the challenges of my vulnerability on the upper side of, of the ladder. And for me, basically, is how do I use and connect really with my team to make sure that knowing that I have their support I can really put myself vulnerable and work on the things that uh, I don't feel very comfortable with. And those, I guess, that uh, relate more to understanding or realizing if I'm doing my role correctly and if I'm doing a a good job in relation to my role. So that's why I will say that, uh, for instance, asking for more resources. I feel that uh, I will not be doing my role right if I continue go out to senior management to ask for more resources. So that put me in a vulnerable position because it seems that I'm not really performing up to my own expectations. Well, Rafael, that makes sense given your role, right? Because you're in charge of operations, you're in charge of logistics, and you're always trying to gain efficiency. Yes. So that's probably part of embedded in the role that you have, I would think. Yes, exactly. And that's why I put so much emphasis in making sure that I'm really connected with the team and using them as really the power behind or the energy behind everything that needs to be done. Another thing that hopefully all of you are observing already, look at Raphael's ladder. It's very different than Tracy's ladder. Isn't that interesting? So already we're seeing some big differences in the ladders. So this helps us understand how valuable it is to understand our own ladder, number one, and number two, understand the ladders of those we work with. Because if we make it a point to reward their vulnerable behavior, especially the ones that they find hard and challenging and seem to carry the most risk for them, that's going to make a big difference. And the process of just taking the assessment, at the beginning, I thought that all those questions related to how I manage my emotions we're going to be the ones that are going to be on top yeah. because of uh, my personality or something like that. But at the end, these are the ones that came out. So that was also a, an interesting insight for me. You know what I found interesting about your ladder in particular, Rafael, is you have admitting you don't know as way down on the bottom. That's pretty incredible for an executive. <laughs> so you're very comfortable doing that, yes. which I think is absolutely fascinating. But then expressing disagreement is more of a high-risk behavior for you. Yes. So any comments on that? I guess that I always say that uh, since I, I always try to have people better than me in my teams, they are really the ones that know. <laughs> so it's very easy for me to acknowledge that I don't know something because they are really the functional experts. But at the same time, maybe at the, at the senior leadership group, challenging others, and making sure that I express that very vocal, it's where I feel more vulnerable. Okay. It's just so helpful to see executives doing this self-examination in such an honest, humble way. I mean, think how liberating that is for all of us and think about how much that could empower a team. So, Rafael, that's fantastic. We'll come back to you in our group discussion. Let's move to Zainab. So, Zainab, here are Zainab's results. 
top three most vulnerable items in red, bottom three least vulnerable items in blue. So Zainab, what observations do you have? You know, I really enjoyed doing this and it gave me a moment of pause. And what I see between so far um, with Raphael and Tracy is we share a commonality in challenging the way things are done. And that one resonated with me, not just because it was in my top most vulnerable, but I, I really took to heart why that is for me. And I think there's several elements that could be at play, right? Environment, leadership, cultures. And I'd be remiss not to say the nature of the work, right? I mean, our work as DEI leaders are change agents, right? And change doesn't come very easy to a lot of us. So that's very disruptive work, right? We're looking at gaps of what we say. So our claims and what we do, our behaviors are norms and looking at that gap. We're looking at gaps in experiences, um, how we experience each other, how the industry and, and stakeholders um, experience us. And that's big, right? We're really we're disrupting what might be comfortable for people. Um, so that really resonates with me to go into this work every day and have these conversations with, with leaders and executives is real, right? It's about our identity, um, how we feel, how the world expects us to act. And when I don't fulfill that expectation of that identity, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean for the interaction? So that continues to be a, a, a challenge and a struggle doing this work for me. Also, what resonated for me is that not only do I challenge what's external, but internally, I, I'm an introvert. You know, and I know showing up in in traditional corporate environment, it's not really made for an introvert, right? I have to exhibit extroverted behavior. And so that's a constant in the moment push and stretch that I do, um, especially when I'm talking about things of identity. So this was a real eye opener for, for me to do for sure. The one that also resonated with me is connecting with teams because I'll tell you, I saw myself being active participant in this. Right. In order for that to be so low on my ladder, I, I participated in that. I engaged in those relationships with my current team, my previous teams. I, I'm an active participant. And for that to be so low is a great, great gift. It's nice to see. This was definitely something, a gift for me to see it in myself and to see it in my colleagues here and, and then how I can uh, leverage that in, in relationships. So, Zainab, this is so fascinating because one of your top three most vulnerable behaviors was sharing something personal, right? Now, this is so fascinating because this was not true of your colleagues. So again, we're seeing a difference, right? And so if I'm one of your colleagues, Zainab, and I know that about you, then I'm going to make it a point to reward that behavior and try and create conditions that are very supportive when you're moving into any of that kind of behavior. Dr. Cluck, I love what you just said, because it's actually, I was very intel about that piece and stretching myself and sharing my personal identity with my team. And this is why the connecting with team is so well, is that I, I really stretched and, and me doing it, others were doing it. And this goes back to what you say in the um, four stages, right? Behave until you believe. I saw the immediate rewards of that personally and within my team. So I continued doing it. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks. So. Now, let's go to Chantel. So, Chantel, these are the results of Chantel's ladder of vulnerability, top three, bottom three. Chantel, observations or insights that you've gleaned here? Thanks, Tim. It's been really interesting to absorb everyone's responses to their own ladders. The assessment was interesting for me and kind of what's been on my mind as I listen to everyone's reflections is, and maybe this is mixing things up a bit, but I kind of like to imagine that the more we practice doing the ladder of vulnerability assessments, the more mindful we'll become of our gaps and what we want to work on as leaders. And the more kind of horizontal (laughs) our ladder will get in that everything is relative, right? What we consider high risk is relative. And ultimately, I would realize I really, when I think about the kind of workplace I want to be part of creating, it's one where we are aware of our vulnerabilities. And at the same time, we are completely comfortable anywhere on the ladder. Like being high up doesn't feel scary. It just feels different. I like that. I say that because for me, uh, it doesn't feel like a huge gap between my top three and my bottom three. In terms of how I show up at work, and this is because I'm very intentional about leaning into vulnerability Mm -hmm. as much as I can, like every single day. 
Well, and I would um, say, Chantel, though, that yeah. you probably do this a lot more than others, right? You're probably yeah. a lot more thoughtful and a lot more reflective than most people, I would say. Would, would you so, agree um, if you're t- is your coaching your own teams? Tim, I, I think what a lot of people uh, shy away from, which I don't, and I would say that is the difference, is people might tend to think if these are my most high-risk interactions, I'm going to stay away from them. Whereas for me, the mindset is go straight towards them, right? That's just really helpful data because it's like, right, now I know what I need to lean into to create a more psychologically safe workspace. I really enjoy the process genuinely because I know that when I do that, I'm very clear that I'm creating more psychological safety. So it's not just a theory. It's really putting this into practice and seeing it happen that kind of lights me up. And the one thing I will say I do find kind of sits with me the most is giving the incorrect answer. And what this means to me is I feel a really deep sense of loyalty. I'm a dog in the Chinese Zodiac, and i it's true, I am incredibly loyal. And what that means is I also feel a huge responsibility for people that I support. And rather than giving you the wrong information or the wrong advice or the wrong anything, I would much sooner say, I have no idea, let's go find out, or I still need to learn. But if I realize that I have misguided someone, that really hurts. And I can be pretty hard on myself. And I think that's quite a vulnerable space for me. Now, thanks very much. Okay, so we've done an initial debrief of everyone's results. Let me ask a question to all of us, all the panelists. So let's assume that we are an intact team now, and that we work together every day all of us here. And we've just gone through this exercise. So we know our own ladder of vulnerability. We know the ladders of our colleagues. What would you do differently? How would this help you in everyday work life? Any thoughts? So we're a team now. I'll go first. I saw an icon and I'm not sure whether it was in your material, Dr. Clark or not, where making a mistake had a car that had run into a signpost, right? And that was the icon for making a mistake, safe space to make a mistake. And so what I saw in not wanting to give the incorrect answer, not wanting to make a mistake, is supreme concern for the other members on the team. Because in a car accident, you wonder, did anyone else get hurt? So to Chantal's point, if we could create safe space where... The mistakes are learning opportunities as opposed to everyone feeling that they're going to injure a team member or colleague. Then I think it changes how we look at error and, Uh you know, it becomes constructive as opposed to destructive and harmful. That's a wonderful insight. Other thoughts? I'm going to relate this to one of your comments, team, in terms of now it's more personal, right? We're talking more about the person and the people behind the team. So we're leaving the titles and the hierarchies aside. Mm-hmm. And now we can have real conversations as equals as what we mind and what needs to be done. Yeah, it does that, doesn't it? It allows you to create more cultural flatness and kind of, as you say, Rafael, leave behind the title and the position and the authority and become more real, more authentic, more genuine with your colleagues, create a deeper level of intimacy and connection. And I think that's an accelerator for performance and it's an accelerator for belonging. Uh, I see a lot of benefits there. Other thoughts about how this information, how the the findings can become helpful? Well, um, if I can say to, to this idea of creating a more open team, a more open space, I think that if we could uh, do this assessment, self-assessment, and share our results, it provides everyone who is supporting us a shared framework and safe language for sitting the other person down and saying, Raphael, I can see that you're under a lot of stress, and I know that asking for more resources feels really vulnerable to you because it's there, it's on your assessment. I'm not making it up, so it doesn't feel as personal. It doesn't feel like I'm guessing or judging. And maybe this is something we need to talk about or whatever it is. But I feel like it would really help with certain uh, tough conversations that can otherwise feel very judgmental. 
Agreed. I think in hearing this and seeing this of one another, this is great feedback as an ally. Right now I can show up differently in allyship with my colleagues. It gives me a window into, into the pains that I can step in with. It also, for me, destigmatizes vulnerability. I think that that word vulnerability has been seen as less than or a weakness. And in having these conversations and seeing each other's allies, it helps destigmatize that word and that concept. And finally, in seeing this as a leader, it makes me think, what mechanisms can I build in our structure when we get together to help bring light or eliminate some of these vulnerabilities, right? So Tracy said, you know, this um, afraid of saying the wrong thing or what mechanisms can I have in place? You know, could it be any idea that comes to mind, throw it on a post-it, I'll take any and all ideas, just throw, just keep throwing ideas on the wall and in some way build mechanisms that can help us get to less vulnerability. Fantastic. Junior, do we have any questions that are coming in? We have a lot of questions. That are coming. <laughs> yeah. One of the comments that I want to point out is I commend all the panelists for having the courage to share their vulnerability live with us. We need more and more leaders to get comfortable being vulnerable in the workplace and inspiring their teams to do the same. And it's one of those things where someone has to take the first step and the leader taking the first step can be a very important thing to do and showing this is a safe place to do this. One of the other comments that I saw that was very interesting was that the first three ladders included challenging the status quo as one of the highest three acts of vulnerability. And that that is probably representative of most environments and organizations in the world today, that we really don't program the culture to be conducive to challenging the status quo. And it's something that we can all work on, on each of our teams in each organization. But it's interesting because as being part of the product team, I've had a different view into some of the responses and some of the data, and that shows up very frequently. Challenging the status quo is a very difficult thing to do, and yet it's core to what propels organizations forward and allows them to innovate. So to me, it's very counterintuitive in some sense that we would create these environments that suppress the challenging, and yet that's how we live and progress. It's very fascinating. So a lot of comments have to do with that. There are questions regarding cultures. How has the culture of which you're a part influenced your ladder, your socialization, the geography? That might be an interesting question to pose to our panelists is how has your geography or the global nature perhaps of your organization contributed to the way that you see vulnerability? Any comments on that? It definitely has, Junior. In our case, throughout Latin America, that's a kind of a premise <laughs> in terms of the authority and how do, how do you relate to authority. So that's one of the reasons why we, have, we are embracing this as part of our cultural transformation process to make sure that, and in my case, by realizing that this portion that you just mentioned in terms of challenging the status quo is so hard for me, I can imagine how hard that could be for the rest of the teams. So that's why I put a lot of emphasis to making sure that that should be the process to make sure that, uh, and for us, it's actually very much in, in the way of just starting, just to make sure that people feel safe, just to belong to a team <laughs> and then work from there to really try to achieve and work with a current, with a with particular culture. In our case, maybe Argentina is more advanced in that, but in the other countries, that's really a challenge. And I think by virtue of being global organizations, I'm based in Washington, which is a city that where people come from all over, but it tends to make us want to start with commonality as opposed to the appreciation of difference at times. So people are eager to connect to what they have in common, what are the current norms, and to the earlier conversation, who's going to go first and be vulnerable? It makes me wonder where the phrase fake it to make it came from, because everyone was so interested in fitting in and assimilating that anything different was a standout and could be viewed as a negative. Yeah. But we're trying to change that tide and say, first, let's appreciate our differences as assets. And now... Be authentic. You can make a mistake. We can all learn from it and we can grow. 
And that's really, in my view, a paradigm shift for the most effective global organization is the appreciation of difference, not the rush to find sameness. I think those are really great points, Tracy. And I love this kind of framework of, for me, it's both and. It's identifying with whatever culture you want to identify with, but making sure that is also a conscious choice and it, it can be. And I say this because, you know, if I think back to my childhood, I did not feel like I belonged in many ways. So choosing what I belong to and what I stand for was a very conscious process and always has been, which has helped because I don't think it needs to be, I identify or belong to a subgroup or subculture and then it's us against them mentality. It really is, like you say, Tracy, appreciating the differences and acknowledging our shared humanity, our shared values, our shared mission as an organization, this is really interesting, the way we layer country, region-specific, organization-specific values and cultures. The other thing I want to say is I think I've been really fortunate to work for an organization that has just and continues to grow so quickly, because what that means is there really isn't a status quo. Like if we think that there is a status quo, we're actually kidding ourselves because things change all the time. So the biggest challenge isn't so much challenging the status quo, it's challenging our mindsets to make sure that we keep up with our own growth globally. That's a really good point. How are you reconciling or trying to resolve this tension that Tracy brought up between fitting in and yet bringing your whole authentic self to work and being appreciated for who you are? Because there's some real tension there for people. I was talking to a person the other day that is from an underrepresented population. And this person said to me, Tim, just showing up is a very vulnerable activity for me right now. Just showing up. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And I said, I hear you, but I don't, I probably don't understand completely, but I'm trying to empathize with you. But that really got my attention. So any comments about how we reconcile this fitting in with yet needing to be ourselves? Because this is stage one inclusion safety. This is the foundation. If we don't establish that, we don't pass go. We don't have any momentum to go anywhere. Tim, this reminds me of a conversation I recently had with some leaders and they said, you know, how do we get more people to contribute? How do we have more people talk about DEI and really give their perspective? So to show up authentically and really make your difference, make a difference there. How do we get them to do that? And immediately I thought, you don't get them to do it, you earn it. You have to earn that trust. You have to earn that vulnerability that they're willing to present to you. So it's something that's earned the environment that I'm creating, how I'm showing up, what behaviors um, and actions am I recognizing and rewarding and holding accountable when it's not meeting our expectations. So it's certainly something that's earned. You know, it's when I feel safe enough, I can be authentic. When I feel safe enough, I can expose more of, of who I am with you. And it's reciprocated. The expectation is then you do that as well. And so that relationship grows. Well, and I'd like to challenge just one thought, because sometimes when you're the only or your difference is leading, there's a tendency to assume negative intent about the people that are there with whom you work, the leaders that you have. We just did a workshop with some second year college students, brought them in the corporate environment and had them in small groups with our C-suite. And one of the young men said, I'm a male, I have earrings in my ear, though I'm wearing a suit. I walk into this environment on the 34th floor and assume that people don't want me here, don't want me on the team. So he was expressing an act of survival, Dr. Tim, according to the framework. And so what the leader said to him was, you too have to leave your bias at the door and assume positive intent, because in my conversations, I would welcome you on my team. I think you're exceptional. So contrary to what you've assumed about me, we could have a wonderful collaboration. So I think you have to start with openness, show yourself authentic and vulnerable, and you might be pleasantly surprised at how people reciprocate. I love that, Tracy. We start with openness on both sides. 
That's and we're right. all dripping with bias. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully we're moving the unconscious to the conscious and then we're removing it, right? But I love the example that you just gave. So if we do start with openness, we have a really good chance that we're going to be able to create that inclusion safety and then just make it stronger. That's right. We can assume that we're going into battle in every situation because it does, to your teaching, affect how we behave ourselves. Yeah. So we kind of have to be the change. I know it's cliche, but we have to be the change, get out of survival mode and assume positive intent. And then we're giving the other folks a shot at uh, behaving likewise. Well, and to that point, though, Tracy, you brought this up at the beginning of the conversation, which is who goes first? And if you go first, if you lead out in an act of vulnerability, which you all have done today, it's disarming. So I want to put my weapons down. I don't want to go into combat. You've just disarmed me and you've changed the terms of engagement. And now I'm drawn in and I truly feel that you care. And I'm a little bit astonished at the vulnerability that you've shown. So that's something that we all need to think about as leaders. Think about the way and that you're able to help others disarm and come to interactions with good faith, with the assumption of positive intent, and then it just starts to flow. No better way to do that than to begin with an act of vulnerability yourself, right? So thank you for that. That's fantastic. Junior, any um, other comments or questions? A massive thank you from the chat, from the entire audience to our panelists today. I've been so impressed with the comments uh, that have come from the chat about everything that has been said today. So to our panelists from the chat, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here with us. I think that I can speak for the audience because I've seen so many of these comments that say, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for taking the first step and having an open, honest conversation about some of these things that are really difficult. We all share this as part of the human experience. As we said at the beginning, human interaction is a vulnerable activity. And this was today. It's a vulnerable thing. And hopefully that vulnerability was met with reward. And uh, we just want to thank you. So we'll transition to some closing remarks. But panelists, thank you so much. And Tim, anything else you want to say to that end? Yeah, Junior, um, I read one comment. They said, the, the panelists are rock stars. I wish all of our leaders acted like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows the power of expressing vulnerability. It is astonishingly powerful in building rapport and creating connections and real authentic human connection. So yeah, we can't thank you enough. Thank um, you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you all. Okay. So now we're going to transition into just some closing remarks. We know we're at the top of the hour. So as you can see, the panelists took their ladders. We had conversations about them. Each of you had an opportunity to take your ladder. We will leave that open. So if you haven't had the chance to do that and you're seeing this via recording a little bit later, you're welcome to do that. It's not going to stay open forever, but you will have an opportunity to take that. And this recorded session today will be available on YouTube and a copy will be sent to every registrant who registered for today's session. So if you missed a little bit, don't worry, I will be shown to you. So this is a screenshot from the Four Stages app. The ladder of vulnerability is now available to take as teams. So you can have an experience with your team similar to what happened today, where each member of the team can take the ladder of vulnerability and will be shown not just your own ladder, but those of your teammates, and then build a data-driven action plan to help reward those acts of vulnerability. So as you can see here, there's some sample data, and I can see that in this case, Ryan, maybe expressing disagreement is a difficult thing. Maybe I add that to my action plan and I can choose a set of behaviors that will help reward that activity. So our organization is about teaching, measuring, and improving psychological safety. And this is our latest edition. So if you're interested in doing this with your team, please go to leaderfactor.com live. If you're already there, there will be a button there to look at this page. If you're not on that page, there will be links in the chat that point you there. Uh, that you can learn a little bit more about it. But we want to say thank you to all of you for taking the time to join us today. 
and spent an hour learning about vulnerability. This is something that we're all learning about. It's something that we're all improving. And what we find is that people that tune into these types of webinars care about people. They want to be better. They want to be inclusive. They want to do the things that we know we should all do in life, which is a vulnerable activity in and of itself, and certainly when there are other humans. So it takes practice and concerted effort, and the data helps. Knowing what's vulnerable for your teammates and them knowing what's vulnerable to you can be powerful information to help increase psychological safety on your team. So if you're interested in that, please visit the page. There will be more information. Also, just a couple last notes. We have two open certification sessions, uh, one in August, one in September. So if that's something that you've been looking at to become an administrator for this solution and the workshop, the team survey, and our other offerings, there are still seats available for those two certifications. Uh, and if you want to learn more generally, there are tons of free resources on the website. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on the book, and please read it if you haven't yet had a chance. So with that, I will sign off and Tim, send it to you for any last remarks. No, thanks, Junior. And thanks again to the panelists. These are some of the best leaders in the world, and we thank them for being so generous with their time and joining us today for their insights, and most of all, for sharing their ladders of vulnerability with the entire world. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So with that, I'll just say, once again, what's the premise? The premise is that human interaction is a vulnerable activity. And when it comes to psychological safety, you either lead the way or get in the way. Ponder that. And thanks very much for being with us. We appreciate you sharing this hour together. So until next time, we'll sign off. And on behalf of everyone at the Leader Factor team, thanks very much. Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com. 